time is Bridge Over Troubled Water by Simon and Garfunkel. I don't know uh, if you've heard of those uh, guys down here in the South. They're two Jewish boys from Queens, but uh, you know, they were pretty good, Simon and Garfunkel. Uh, the song is a promise uh, to a friend uh, to always be there in the, a, a time of need. Uh, and so the first verse uh, goes like this. When you're weary, feeling small, when tears are in your eyes, I will dry them all. I'm on your side. Oh, when times get rough and friends just can't be found, like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. And the second verse, when you're down and out, when you're on the street, when evening falls so hard, I will comfort you. I'll take your part. Oh, when darkness comes and pain is all around, like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. Well, the lyrics and the melody are, are, are beautiful, and the power of Garfunkel's voice uh, as the song ends still gives me chills uh, every time I hear it. And when I read John chapter 14, I'm always reminded of uh, this song, because Jesus is the friend comforting his disciples in their great hour of need, like a bridge over troubled water. Uh, let's remember the context again for John chapter 13, John chapter 14. Remember, uh, today is the day we celebrate Palm Sunday, right? Palm Sunday is uh, just one week before Easter on the church calendar. It's also called the triumphal entry, the day when Jesus sat on a donkey and, and entered into Jerusalem while the crowds waved palm branches and shouted Hosanna to him, which means uh, Lord rescue us or, or save now, uh, something like that. Uh, and so it was a plea for the Messiah uh, to rescue them from the oppression of Rome and restore Israel to its former glory. Less than a week later, uh, these crowds and others who, who were shouted Hosanna, uh, their chants would ch uh, change, right? They would be shouting, crucify him uh, to Pilate uh, less than a week later. And, and here we're in the middle of this week, right? It's, it's Thursday night, and Jesus spent the last hours of his, night, uh, of his life before he would be crucified the next day on Good Friday uh, in the upper room uh, with his disciples and also uh, later in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, where he was arrested. And the events that we've been discussing over the past several weeks happened uh, in this large upper room where Jesus shared the Last Supper with his disciples. Now, traditionally, uh, this is the place where the Last Supper occurred. Uh, that's the outside entrance to uh, the room. And then when you go in the room, this is the large upper room, according to tradition. And you can go there today, and you can see this place where this happened. So imagine you're there. Imagine you're in this upper room. And imagine uh, that table uh, in that upper room, and imagine uh, what it would be like uh, to be one of those disciples. In fact, try and put yourself there uh, as we uh, think about the end of John chapter 14, speaking these words of comfort not only to the disciples, but imagine you were there, and he's speaking these words of comfort uh, to you as well. Uh, we need these words. We need these words that Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago as much as his disciples did. Uh, we need them today from Jesus too. Now, of course, this was Jesus' great hour of need, right? I mean, we tend to forget that as he's speaking to his disciples in their hour of need. Uh, he's the one who needs the comfort, uh, but he's still yet a bridge over troubled water for his disciples who so desperately need his comfort. And last week, we talked about some of the advantages that Jesus talked about. He was giving them uh, good news following bad news. The bad news was that Jesus was going to die. 
and that Peter would betray him, uh, deny him three times uh, when he was questioned by uh, a slave girl uh, and another of the people out there in the courtyard. Uh, so he would deny him three times. And Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I'm going away. And he talked about uh, preparing a place for them. Uh, that was one advantage. And that they knew the way there, that was another advantage. And a third advantage was that by knowing Jesus, they would know the Father. And so this week, we're going to continue talking about the benefits uh, to the disciples and to us of Jesus going away. And they are that the work of Jesus would continue through the disciples, uh, that Jesus would send another helper, the Holy Spirit, and that they would see Jesus again, and then that Jesus would give them supernatural peace even in their grief. So let's talk about uh, Jesus, uh, the work of Jesus continuing uh, through the disciples uh, as we look at uh, verse 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. So the apostles watched Jesus heal blind people, right? Make lame people, paralyzed people walk. Uh, he healed lepers, and he even raised people from the dead. The, the disciples saw this happen. And they watched him calm the raging sea, uh, and they watched him turn water into wine and, and take a small boy's uh, little lunch of five loaves and two fishes and feed 5,000 people with that. And now Jesus says they're going to do greater works than these? Uh, what exactly does that mean? Well, most commentators agree that Jesus didn't mean that, that the disciples would do more spectacular works than those, but that Jesus would do, uh, or that the, the disciples would do works that have greater numerical value in terms of church growth, uh, greater results than Jesus' works. So it's more of a, a quantity over quality type of measurement, greater works in terms of the number of people reached by uh, the disciples' works. So remember, Jesus ministered in a very small area and only for a period of three years. The disciples would go on and they would minister for decades and they would take the gospel far and wide, north, south, east, and west, all over the world. And in fact, you and I are sitting here because of the work of the disciples uh, and their spreading of the gospel. Uh, remember, at Pentecost alone, 3,000 people became believers. And as we read through the book of Acts, uh, continually says, uh, and more people were added to their number every day. Uh, so greater works in terms of numerically, they became believers and received the Holy Spirit. But they did do the spectacular as well, right? The, the book of Acts is a chronicle of uh, some of the healings and some of the miracles that Jesus did through these apostles to reach the lost and make converts. So Jesus predicted that these things would happen, and he, and he predicted those things would happen in advance, these great works that they would do. But there were also conditions attached to them. Uh, he says that the one who believes in me the one who believes in me, and that is the condition. That's the one who will carry on Jesus' work. So uh, Jesus said, remember just last week we talked about in verse 10 and 11, that they should have faith in Jesus because of the person of Jesus, who Jesus is. And because of the words of Jesus, uh, he says the words that the Father says. And because of the works of Jesus, he does the works that the Father gave him to do, the miraculous things. And so uh, they believed, and by faith in Jesus, they would do these greater works. So the key to the whole thing is faith. Do they believe? And if they do believe, they will do these greater works. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 17, 20, uh, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can tell this mountain to get up and move into the sea, and it will do that. So it's faith in Jesus that activates their power. 
I've always been fascinated by that passage uh, where Jesus did not do many miracles in his hometown of Nazareth. Why? Because of their unbelief. Now, what's going on there? Well, certainly Jesus never lost his power to do these miracles, right? But he didn't have the will to do the miracles because of their unbelief. So what might Jesus do for those and through those who have this faith? Uh, Basically, Jesus gave them a blank check for what he would do for people with faith. As we look in these next verses, they would do great works because Jesus would answer their prayers. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So Jesus' work uh, would continue through the apostles, through their faithful prayers, and Jesus promised that anything that they asked in his name, he would do. Well, anything? Like anything at all? Well, not exactly. Uh, in his name is not some magic formula, right? It's not abracadabra, and we, we speak the, the, what doesn't exist into existence, right? That, that's not what it is to make any request happen. Uh, when we pray in Jesus' name, we are acting as his ambassadors. Uh, we are here on earth uh, trying to uh, ask that the will of the Father be done. And so Jesus and the Father are of one divine mind. And so uh, when we truly pray in Jesus' name, we're asking for God's will to be done. That's why when the disciples asked Jesus, uh, teach us how to pray, Jesus said, this is how you pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so uh, it's impossible to truly pray in Jesus' name without praying in God's will. They would be contradictory things. So when we pray in God's will, uh, then we are praying in Jesus' name. And I don't know if you've had this happen to you, but over time you might find that your prayers change uh, to be in accordance with what God would, would, would be his will. Uh, what you had formerly been praying may not have been in his will, and, and he eases you over towards praying in his will. And that's really the trick to the whole thing, isn't it? It's like, what is God's will? How do I know God's will? If I knew God's will, I'd pray in God's will, and then Jesus would answer that prayer. But we don't often know what God's will is. And just think about the world today. There is so much evil in the world today. Uh, We think about uh, how can the war in Ukraine, uh, how can abortion, uh, how can violent crime, human trafficking, or abject poverty be the Lord's will? Well, it's not the Lord's will, right? He hates these things as much as we do. So when we pray against these things, why hasn't God answered? Why, why do these things still exist? And I stand up here saying to you, I don't know the answer to that question, but all I can tell you is that God somehow gets the greatest glory. God is most glorified by working things out according to his plan and according to his timing. And so our role is to keep praying in accordance with things that we know would be in the Father's will, like the end of war, like the end of abortion, and ask that God would be glorified. And then we leave the results to him. We just leave the results to him. He'll work it out in his own timing. But one thing we need to do is to check our own hearts uh, to know that if we are in God's will and if we are praying in God's will. So one way we can do that is to ask if we are obeying God's commandments. And so Jesus kind of attaches a little condition on the end here. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is a reflection of of people with faith, of people who believe uh, they will obey his commandments. Well, what commandments? 
Well, when a Pharisee, a lawyer, asked uh, Jesus what the greatest commandment was, Jesus gave a two-part answer, right? The greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love others as yourselves. Uh, If you follow these, all the other commandments hinge, depend on these two. So the true test of our love for Jesus is if we're loving God and if we're loving others. If we're doing those two things, then we're probably doing the rest of the commandments as well. So we're keeping the commandments. Now remember, we're not keeping the commandments as a way of salvation, right? Our, our, our salvation has already been sealed. We've sealed that deal when we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We received the Holy Spirit uh, and we are saved. So obedience is, is not... Uh, for salvation, it's the proof of salvation. It's proof that we've trusted in Jesus, that the Holy Spirit lives in us, and that we are being obedient to him as he changes us. So we obey out of love for Jesus, and if we're obedient to him, chances are that we are living God's way, uh, we're praying according to his will, and that he will answer our prayers. But we just have to be patient, because God's timing is perfect, and we just have to wait for God to do what God will do. So the first advantage is that Jesus uh, would continue working through the disciples through great works and through their prayers in accordance of God's will. And the second great advantage is that Jesus would send the Holy Spirit. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper so that he may be with you forever. If uh, he will be with you forever. The helper is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Now, Jesus can speak confidently of what God will do because Jesus knows God, right? And not only that, he is God, uh, so he knows the will of God. And, And not only that, but he was with God in the beginning, planning out what was going to happen long before it happened. And so they planned to send another helper in Jesus's place. Now, the word helper uh, is the Greek word parakletos, uh, which is variously translated in your Bibles. You may have helper, you may have comforter, uh, you might have advocate, you might have counselor, uh, a difficult word to translate. Uh, It was used in legal settings for for one who appeared on behalf of another, like a lawyer appears for a defendant uh, in court. Uh, And then the verb form of the word parakletos is parakaleo, which means to summon, uh, to call alongside of, uh, to summon for aid or to, to exhort or to encourage. So, you know, kind of piecing the noun form and the verb form together, we get the idea of somebody who comes alongside of us, who comforts us, helps us, advocates for us in times of need. And Jesus would ask God to send this helper or advocate uh, to help them. Uh, and, and so we just need to spend a second thinking about this because the term helper uh, can suggest subordination, right, in, in some sense, as though the helper is somehow less than the one who sends the helper, right? So uh, when we talk about the helper, uh, this is not, uh, we shouldn't get the idea like he's the gopher on a job site, uh, you know, to some experienced expert craftsman, right? He, he's not an intern who fetches coffee uh, for the people who are, are, you know, high-powered brokers on Wall Street. Uh, the Holy Spirit is God, too, uh, the third person of, tri- of the Trinity, and, and Jesus will call him the helper here, but he'll also call him the spirit of truth and the Holy Spirit as we move through the passage. Uh, And so Jesus said the helper would come to them and he would be with them forever. So Jesus calls him a parakletos. 
and you know the the the, the disciples knew the word. Uh, they were probably not expecting some kind of spiritual Paracletos, right? They were expecting another person, probably a human being, uh, who would come across, uh, to them in flesh and bones. Uh, but when Jesus called him the Spirit of Truth, well, you know that would be confusing to them. The, 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 the disciples would have wondered, uh, the Spirit of Truth. What exactly does that mean? Well, thank God for uh, the writing of Scripture and the Holy Spirit who brought all these things to their remembrance so that John could write this gospel many years later. And as we look over John's gospel, we can see uh, little pieces of, of John talking about the Spirit and giving evidence of what the Spirit's ministry is. Uh, remember, in John chapter 3, uh, Jesus said, It's the Spirit who gives rebirth to Nicodemus. And in John chapter 4, uh, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, he said, you will worship the Lord, the God, in spirit and in truth. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, it is the spirit who gives life. And in John chapter 7, Jesus promised that he who believes uh, in him will uh, have these waters, these living waters flowing up uh, in him uh, through his innermost being. So certainly the disciples would have been confused, but these pieces of John that have happened up to this point at least give us kind of a partial mosaic of what the Holy Spirit's ministry would be to the disciples. And Jesus would provide more information later in John chapter 14 and also in John chapter 16 about what this ministry would be. But even in this little snippet here, there's plenty of information to digest. Uh, the first bit of information we see here is that the world cannot receive the helper because it does not see him or know him. Now, if you read the Gospel of John, you notice uh, that John uh, frequently contrasts the world on the one hand with believers on the other hand. Uh, and so uh, the world, as John uses the term, is the world's system, uh, the world's philosophy that is opposed to God and opposed to his son, uh, opposed to God's laws, opposed to God's kingdom. The world is hostile to God. Its ways are evil. It chooses darkness over the light. Uh, this is the world. And for these reasons, the world will not receive uh, the Holy Spirit and will be eternally separated from Jesus. Now, in contrast, the believers, the disciples, who did know Jesus, they would receive his Holy Spirit. And that's a promise from Jesus that he would fulfill, and he would fulfill it at Pentecost. After Pentecost and at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit would fill believers, and the Holy Spirit would stay with them, dwell with them, and dwell with us forever. Now, probably at this point, Jesus is looking out over the 11 who are left, and he sees confusion in their faces, right? They, they, they aren't getting it, of course. Uh, they didn't understand this concept of a spiritual paraclete, right? A paraclete is a person who comes alongside. They don't get a spiritual paraclete. And they couldn't conceive of how this paraclete could possibly be better than what they already had with Jesus, so they wanted Jesus, and so Jesus now gives them uh, some reassurance uh, as he goes on in this passage. Uh, these disciples who don't understand the concept of a spiritual paraclete at the moment, later on they would come to understand that in his human body, Jesus could only be in one place at one time, right? He could be with his disciples, but he couldn't be in his disciples. And so what they would come to understand later is that the advantage of Jesus going away is that the Holy Spirit can occupy every believer at the same time forever. Uh, that's a big advantage, right? And so 
uh, we, can, we can understand the disciples. They're confused. They, they're clinging to Jesus. They don't want to let go of Jesus. They don't understand this idea of the Holy Spirit. So now Jesus gives, some, uh, gives them some assurance that they'll get the Holy Spirit. They'll get this helper, but they'll also get to see him again too. And that's what we see in the following verses. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. After a little while, the world no longer is going to see me, but you are going to see me. Because I live in you, you will also live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. The one who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will reveal myself to him. So Jesus says, I am coming to you. Uh, and commentators have disagreed about whether this means coming to you in the form of the Holy Spirit to indwell or coming to you, meaning uh, that they will see him again after his resurrection. Now, in these couple verses, it seems to me and to I think probably the majority of the commentators that Jesus is referring to himself after the resurrection. This seems to be a personal reference to himself and not the Holy Spirit here. And we know historically, of course, that the disciples did see him again after his resurrection. But remember that Jesus only appeared to believers following the resurrection. He didn't appear to unbelievers because his disciples believed they would see him and they would live. So that's a big advantage, right? They would live. And Jesus says that because you believe, you will live. But he couldn't come back to them until he first went away. Uh, and that's what he was trying to say to them. When they saw him again, all their doubts would be erased. They would, be, they would vanish. They would know they would know, which means they would believe that Jesus is who he said he was. So they believe and they will live. Uh, Jesus would come to them uh, to, uh, to smooth over all their doubts. They would know that Jesus is in the Father, the Father is in him after he rose from the dead. So it would give some comfort to his disciples, surely, that they would get this helper. Jesus wouldn't promise them anything that was bad, uh, but they would be even comforted greater to know that they would see Jesus again too. So Jesus tells them, belief equals life. You believe and you will have life. And so he gave them all they, he, will, he would give them all they could possibly need to believe. And then in verse 21, Jesus explained again that it's love for Jesus and belief in him. It's proven by obedience, obedience to the commandments. But after all this, uh, Judas, uh, not Judas Iscariot, the other uh, Iscariot, the other Judas, he had a question. And Judas says, uh, Lord, what has happened that you are going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said, if anyone loves me, he will follow my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. The one who does not love me does not follow my words and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. So Judas speaks up. He doesn't understand what's going on, even though Jesus has explained it. Uh, he's asking, what has happened? Has there been some kind of event? Uh, Jesus was, was, was uh, trying to tell them throughout his ministry uh, that the, the kingdom that they were thinking is not the kingdom that was going to be. Uh, they were expecting a military Messiah who was going to restore Israel to its former glory, or remove uh, the oppressive Romans uh, from uh, Israel, and establish Israel again as a world power. Uh, so it, how could Jesus do that if the world didn't see him? The world would certainly see their military Messiah coming in and conquering them. Uh, but Jesus says the world will not see him. 
So we can understand why Judas and why the other disciples would be thinking along those lines. But the problem is that their expectations, their presumptions were wrong. Jesus didn't come to establish a physical kingdom. He didn't come to conquer Rome. He came to, to establish a spiritual kingdom, one in which believers worship God and they advance his kingdom through the spreading of the gospel. And those believers receive the Holy Spirit and it multiplies. That's the kingdom that uh, Jesus was bringing. And that's why Jesus would only show himself to unbelievers. And that's why the world would not see him. Only true believers would see him. And uh, John reiterates that the true believers are the ones who obey God. So, so far, Jesus has promised that uh, the work of the disciples would continue through him, uh, that he would send a helper, uh, that they would see him again. And the last benefit that Jesus talked about in the upper room was that they would have this supernatural peace, verses 25 to 31. These things I have spoken to you while remaining with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of all that I said to you. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled nor fear fearful. You heard that I said to you, I am going away and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in regard to me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let's go from here. So Jesus knew that the apostles were overwhelmed with grief. Uh, They were overwhelmed with grief at this point, plus confusion, plus hopelessness. Uh, And there was much more. All this information was much more than they could take in. Uh, Imagine trying to comprehend this if you were in this upper room, that God the Father would send God the Holy Spirit at the request of God the Son, right? That would be overwhelming. That would be uh, unknowable to them. That They couldn't wrap their arms around it. Uh, Jesus is talking about the Trinity here. Uh, So obviously it would be hard for these disciples Uh, for them to get that. But but Jesus, uh, he promised that the helper, who he now identifies as the Holy Spirit here, uh, he would come to teach them and to remind them of all that Jesus said and taught. It would be like having a teacher or a tutor uh, after you didn't understand the math lesson, right? You go to your tutor and your tutor helps you. Uh, They would drill the facts into you. Uh, They would remind you until you remembered what you taught or what you were taught and until you understood. And so that's what the Holy Spirit would do. He would come, he would live in them, uh, drilling them, reminding them of the things that Jesus had taught them. And he would continue their training. And they would need this training because Jesus was going to commission them, right? Go and take the gospel, take this to the world, make disciples, teaching them to obey, uh, baptize them in the name of the Holy Spirit. So they would need all this to take the gospel to the whole world. And Jesus says, uh, this peace I leave you, this peace I give you, not as the world gives you, but as I give to you. The world offers a false peace, right? It's a false peace that the world offers through money, through power, through sex, or or whatever it is where people uh, tend to find their power or their happiness. Uh, The world offers this false peace, but Jesus offers true peace, the peace of knowing where we will spend eternity, the comfort of knowing that the Holy Spirit will will get us through the difficulties of life, and and that eventually Jesus will call us home uh, to eternity in heaven with him. 
Jesus promises that a believer is never alone. The Holy Spirit is always with them. And that is the peace that we have. We can live our lives free of fear, full of peace, because we have this companion of the Holy Spirit living in us. So don't allow your hearts to be troubled. Don't allow your hearts to be afraid. Uh, Jesus will always be with us. And for Jesus, though though Satan would come uh, through the person of of Judas in just a a mere matter of hours, uh, Judas, uh, I mean, Satan could not make any accusation against Jesus that will stick. And, And Satan can't make any accusation against us that will stick either because Jesus is our helper and our advocator. Jesus's death was not because Satan won. It was not because Satan won. Jesus' death was because Jesus loved the Father and obeys his commandments, and he loves us and died for us, and that was the plan. So it didn't happen to Jesus. It happened because Jesus planned it, and it was always part of the plan. In verse 28, Jesus changed the subject. The disciples should be happy for him because he was going to the Father. The disciples were not happy at all. Uh, I remember uh, being in this church for the past five years when the Talkingtons, when the Buchanans, when the Roods uh, all moved away to go and be with their children and to do ministry in other parts of the country, uh, they were happy. I was not happy. I I was sad. I was sad for me. I was sad for the church. Uh, We would miss them. I mean, how selfish of me, right? My first thought was, but what about me? Uh, What about our church? You know, I I should have been happy for them because they were going to uh, enjoy what their grandchildren and ministry in other parts of the country. Well, the disciples were, were acting the same way. They didn't want to lose Jesus. They didn't want him to go away, uh, even though Jesus was going back to be with the Father and to receive the glory that he enjoyed before he came to earth. Uh, When Jesus said, the Father is greater than I, uh, this is a verse that you know that uh, other religions will use to show that Jesus is not God. Uh, This is uh, one of their proof texts. Well, Jesus was not saying he was in any way inferior to God. What he was saying was, He's fully God in his essence and his being, uh, in his ontology, his being. That's a, ontology is a fancy word for in his being, who he was. But in his function, he became less than God. He subordinated himself to God's will uh, to become a man and then to serve the purposes that God had for him to come and die on the cross for our sins. He, he functionally subordinated himself by taking on human flesh, becoming a man subject to the limitations of a human body. Uh, and that's what he did. But he was never less than God in who he was. And God would restore him fully to the glory that he had after Jesus ascended back to the Father. Uh, So there is so much in John chapter 14. uh, And we could literally have spent, you know, 10 weeks easily in John chapter 14. But I just want to recap the advantages of Jesus going away that we discussed last week and this week. Uh, This is what we see, uh, and that's that Jesus has prepared a place for us. Can you advance that slide? Uh, What am I doing here? There we go. Okay, something happened with the clicker. Small church, things happen. Uh, (laughs) Gifts from the upper room. Seven things that we're looking at that happened uh, that we talked about last week and this week. Uh, Jesus has prepared a place for us. We know the way to get there. Anyone who has seen Jesus has already seen the Father because Jesus and God are of the same divine essence. 
Uh, Jesus would continue his work on earth through the disciples' ministry. Jesus would send the Holy Spirit. They would see Jesus again, and Jesus offers supernatural peace and eternity uh, and for them and for us today. Uh, when we think about Good Friday, which is upcoming just this coming Friday, uh, Good Friday is good because of what Jesus did for us. That's why we call it Good Friday. Jesus died for our sins so we could have peace with God. Uh, and in addition to that, we get all of these benefits that I have listed here. Uh, Jesus was only hours away from gruesome torture, excruciating death on a cross, and yet he spent his last few minutes comforting his disciples and offering them hope for the future. I mean, what a glorious and loving Savior we serve. So let's close with a couple of brief applications. Uh, first one is this. Jesus offers us the same comfort that he offers his disciples. Uh, in John 17, Jesus prayed for his disciples and all who would believe in them through the ministry of the disciples. That's you. That's me. Uh, we are the people who came to faith as a result of the disciples' ministry. And so his promise of the Holy Spirit is to all who believe uh, and receive him. And so we, you and I, we have the Spirit of Jesus living in us. Uh, and the two great threats to the peace that we have, what are they? They are Satan and they are the world, right? These are the two threats to our peace. Both are competing with the Holy Spirit for our attention and for our allegiance. Uh, Satan will tempt us with shiny new things, right? And he will entice us to sin. And then when we do, he'll accuse us. He'll tell us uh, we're not worthy. We're not worthy of the Father's love because we sin. And we have to remember that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and we have Jesus as our advocate in heaven to help us, uh, who, who assures that we, have, uh, will be, we are declared not guilty before God. So that's what Satan will do. The world is going to mock us and shame us and call us names because of our faith. And we look at the chaos in the world, and, and the chaos in the world can cause us to fall into fear or fall into despair. Uh, but if we focus on the peace that Jesus gives uh, through the Holy Spirit, uh, we'll have peace in this world. We just have to choose that we're going to be uh, attuned to the power of the Holy Spirit and not be distracted by Satan and the world and the peace uh, that they attempt to offer. Uh, so we can have this comfort that Jesus provides through the Holy Spirit. So the same comfort that Jesus offers to the disciples is offered to us and available to us today. So that's the first one. The second one is this. Uh, if that's the case, uh, then we have to pray for the world to receive the Holy Spirit. The only hope for this world, the only hope for the world in this horrible shape that the world is in right now is radical repentance from sin, turning to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, receiving the Holy Spirit, and having the Holy Spirit spread among this world that is so desperately in need of it. We pray for it, for our leaders, uh, for the leaders of other countries, uh, for Putin, uh, for Kim Jong-un, uh, for all the world leaders, and for our own world leaders, for President Biden and for his cabinet, uh, that they too would receive the Holy Spirit and that the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit would sweep across the globe in ways that we've never seen before, uh, a new revival uh, like we've never seen that's what this world needs. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Well, if the Son of Man came today, what would he find? 
you would not find a lot of faith on the earth. Uh, and so uh, we just have to keep praying for the world to receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, prayer changes things, and so we have to be sure we're praying for this world to receive the Holy Spirit. And for our part, uh, the third application is that our testimony to the world is our joy and it's our obedience. Christians should be the most joyful people on the face of the earth. Jesus gave us the golden ticket to heaven, right? And he paid the price so that it doesn't cost us to get there. We don't have to pay the penalty. Uh, Jesus has already paid it for us. And Satan has no more claim on us than he had in G- on Jesus when Jesus said, uh, he's coming, but he has nothing on me. Uh, we are free of our sin debt. Jesus has paid it in full by dying on the cross for our sins. And now we testify by our lives that we are believers and we should live joyfully. And we should also live obediently. We testify uh, to our faith by, by obeying the commands, by loving him and loving others. We owe everything to Jesus. Uh, and it's his love for us that led him to die for us. And it's our love for him that will cause us to live for him. You know, the, the disciples were in emotional agony that night. Uh, as they were considering all that Jesus said to them. And Jesus was about to suffer the most excruciating death imaginable, but his only concern at that moment was for his friends. Uh, Think about the love of Christ, who would spend his final hours comforting his disciples, in the words of Paul Simon, comforting them, taking their part when darkness comes and pain is all around. That's what the disciples were experiencing, like a bridge over troubled water. Jesus eased their minds, and he eases our minds too. And you and I enjoy even greater advantages than the disciples enjoyed because we live on this side of the cross. We understand with greater comprehension what it all meant. We know how the story ends. Jesus died for our sins, but never forget that he triumphed over death by rising from the grave and giving us the Holy Spirit to help us through life and to seal our salvation. And this should give us great peace. So the next time you're feeling anxious, or feeling alone, or feeling abandoned, or afraid. Uh, Just picture yourself uh, walking safely over troubled waters, over a sturdy bridge, hand in hand with Jesus as he walks us through this life. This is the peace that he bought for us, and this is the peace and the hope that we have this Easter season. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, we are just amazed at what you have done Lord, it stuns us that you would go to the cross and die for our sins in our place. And Lord, uh, the love that you showed by doing this for us is uh, it's just unfathomable to us and just uh, too immense for us to understand, Lord. So we thank you for it, Lord, and we thank you for all that it means. Lord, we thank you for your son who willingly gave his life for us so that we might live. And I pray that these comforts that Jesus offered his disciples in the upper room that night will comfort us in times of trouble, Lord, uh, when pain is all around. Lord, we just ask you for these things, and we thank you for your son, and we just pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.